Hey, good, good morning. What's up, Lake Hills Church? Great to see you. Great to be in the house with you. For those of you who are in the house, great to be online with you. For those of us who are online, I think all of us who are in the house ought to give it up for those who are online this morning. Welcome them in. I want to just echo what you've already heard this morning. Just tell you welcome. I just think it's great to be together on the weekend, whether you're online or in the room, and to remind everybody that during this season, we are one church in hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of locations, people's living rooms, people's coffee houses. Is that microphone messing up a little bit? It is to me. Did you say it's maybe in my head, Julie? Thank you. I appreciate that. Okay, good. Never mind. That's my bad, not, not the sound crew. Anyway, it is great to be in the house, and it's also an opportunity, I think, to remember that as we work our way through 2020 and Corona and all those kind of good things, that, that online church is an incredible blessing. It's an amazing tool that we have at our disposal for this season, and it can be a great introduction into the life of the church. And we like to say around here that online church is like vitamins. Online church is a great supplement, but was never intended to be a substitute for the real thing, for what happens in the room where it happens, if you know what I'm saying. And so we just welcome in everybody that's online. And if you're not yet comfortable or confident coming back to worship with us, we completely understand that. And we're saving you a seat and can't wait for you to be in the room with us. Let's give it up one more time for everybody online. Great to have them in the service. Now, I want to ask everyone, if you would, to kind of loosen up. Everybody kind of, everybody sit up, kind of take a deep breath and just kind of get loose a little bit for a second because I'm going to ask you to loosen up your imagination gears, okay? And, and I'm going to ask you to imagine something that I think, I hope, will be fun. And, and so here, here's what I'm going to ask you to imagine. I want you to, everybody online in the room, everybody close your eyes, just kind of take a deep breath Forget all of the distractions. I want you to just in your mind's eye, picture what it would be like to live life with no regrets. Think about that for just a second. Look at the smiles popping up across the room. To live life with no regrets. Everybody just kind of say, oh. Wouldn't that be amazing? Now you can open your eyes back up. I think as I was thinking about how to kind of set up where we're going this week, and I thought, what if you could live life with no regrets? And for me personally, I started thinking, man, that would be, and I couldn't even, it's almost too much to imagine, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's almost as great a concept as it sounds like. If, if you've been alive for, oh, I don't know, 30 minutes or so, you, it's almost impossible to imagine what it would be like to live with no regrets at all. I mean, because we've all got them. I've got them. You've got them. All God's chilling have regrets. It's part of the human experience to have those things that we wish we'd said, those things we wish we hadn't said, those things we wish we had done, those things we wish we hadn't done. But for just a second, Think about this. If you could live your life with no regrets, I want to share some, some pictures with you that I think 
can help us kind of drive this concept home. And we're going somewhere with this. If you could live your life with no regrets, then you could be like, like this guy, Ace Freely from the rock band Kiss. And you could write a memoir called No Regrets and take a picture in the back of a limo. Just no regrets, man. Think about that. For, is that a great picture? Ace Freely. Ace Freely back in the New York groove. Anyway, no regrets. Now, some mistakes that we make are more permanent than others. Some regrets that we have are, are tougher to, to erase, if you will. Like the guy who wanted to get a tattoo of Bob Marley. For those of you scoring at home, that is not Bob Marley. That's Jimi Hendrix. <laughs> Think about that. Look at my new tat of Bob Marley. How about this next picture? The, the guy who wanted to get a tattoo paying homage to his idol, John Bon Jovi, or as this says, John Bovi, and it says, it's is my life. Let me just tell you this. In order to live life with as few regrets as possible, homemade tattoos are a bad idea. It's is my life. John Bovey. Now, sometimes if you think, man, I want to get a tattoo, but I don't know really what to get. You've got, you've got an idea that's not fully formed. It isn't completely crystallized. Maybe you're thinking to yourself, man, never give up. Or you're thinking, should I say never give up or don't give up? You should really get this nailed down before you go to your tattoo artist. Never don't give up. Man, on the bicep right there, that, that right there, never don't give up. Is that sad? Now, there, of course, there's the one that is, of course, an absolute classic that we all know how this is about to finish up. This tattoo right here, no regerts. No regerts. Could we all just live with no regerts? Turn to your neighbor right now and tell them like you mean it. No regerts. Now, to live life with no regrets sounds like an incredible concept. And I actually, I want to share with you something that in my life, a decision, a choice that, that I made that I can tell you honestly, I have absolutely no regrets about. Not one time since I made this decision have I ever regretted it. Now, before I tell you what this is, I want you to know I'm not bragging because if I were bragging, that would mean that when I made this decision, that I knew in that moment how wise, how, how prudent, how insightful it was. And, and I didn't. I, I thought it was a good idea, but I had no idea. The thing that I have no regrets about whatsoever, I have never second guessed in my life, is that as of tomorrow at 11 a.m., I stood before God and those assembled witnesses, most of the town of Laurel, Mississippi, and I said, I do to my wife, Julie, 29 years ago. 29, how many of you are younger than 29 years old? I've been married longer than you've been breathing. 
And I have never one time regretted it. Have I made mistakes as a husband? No doubt. I've said things I wish I hadn't said. I, I've done things I wish I hadn't done. But I have never in 29 years, I've never one time gone, God, what if? What if I had, I mean, what could have been? Because Julie and I, I think I can speak for her after 29 years. I have no regrets about that decision that we made. I have no regrets. Now, we did make trade-offs. No regrets doesn't mean that you don't make trade-offs. There were definitely trade-offs that were made. When I said I do 29 years ago tomorrow, I traded off. I decided at that point. Julie and I had an agreement that, for example, I would never date anyone else. That's just kind of a rule that we have in our marriage. And so far it's worked out pretty well. By the same token, Julie, Julie made some significant trade-offs. Julie decided that morning in front of God and those assembled witnesses, most of the town of Laurel, Mississippi, she decided that she would never kiss another man on the mouth. We were just kind of legalistic about that sort of thing. There are trade-offs that you make, but no regrets means that the trade-offs you make for the commitments you make are 1,000% worth it. That the trade-offs you make for that commitment are absolutely worth it. The Christian life itself, the Christian faith, absolutely involves trade-offs. There are trade-offs of habits, trade-offs of practices, trade-offs of lifestyles, trade-offs of choices, trade-offs maybe sometimes of people in our lives who are absolutely incompatible and irreconcilable with a commitment to Christ. And so in the time that we have left here today, I, I want to talk about those, those trade-offs. Last week, we kicked off this series called True North. We, we said that we're establishing a true north for our lives, that in the middle of all of the uncertainty of all the craziness that 2020 can throw at us, we actually have an opportunity, an opportunity to, to reorient, to recalibrate and reposition ourselves according to true north that will allow us to navigate no matter what happens around us. No matter global pandemic, no matter social unrest, no matter presidential politics, that our true north transcends all circumstances. That our true north is, of course, Jesus Christ. And the, the essence of this series is rooted, it's, it's anchored in two verses of the Bible that are found in Hebrews chapter 12. If you've got your Bible or your phone where you go to the Bible, go to Hebrews chapter 12. As you're looking that up, I just want to remind you, the book of Hebrews was written, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, it was written to encourage the Hebrew people, the Jews of the first century, most of whom were living in Jerusalem, these followers of Jesus. And the book of Hebrews was written to encourage them because of the persecution they were under. They were under incredible persecution, both from Rome, but also sometimes from within the church body itself. There were people who were saying, man, those Jews are so legalistic. They want to hold on to those old traditions. And 
The author of Hebrews, and we're not sure who it was precisely, but we know that it was inspired by God. The author of Hebrews brings to bear all of the history, all of the legacy of Israel as God's chosen people to remind them of who they are and to remind them that there have been a lot of people who have gone before you, a lot of pillars of the faith that have gone before you that you should be reminded of their faithfulness in order to remain faithful yourself, to, to use this. And Hebrews chapter 12 is right before the end of the book. Chapter 13 is the last chapter in Hebrews, but Hebrews 12 begins with these two verses, these two true north verses. Here's what the Bible says. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, those who have gone before us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance. That's a great word again, isn't it? Encumbrance. You don't want to be encumbered. Lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame of it, and now has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The author of Hebrews is saying here, inspired by God, he's saying, don't quit. Don't give up. You keep going. Turn to your neighbor right now and tell him, don't you quit. Don't quit. To run, run with endurance, with perseverance, this race that is laid out before us. How many of you know sometimes you can get a little tired? Anybody ever get tired spiritually? Anybody ever get tired emotionally? Those of you raising your hands, thank you for your honesty. Those of you not, lying's a sin and it's worse in church. But my point is this. It's almost as if God knew we would get tired. It's almost as if he knew we would need this reminder. I remember the guy, I've shared this with you before, but it's so lodged in my brain. It's such a, it's such a part of who I am right now. I remember I was, I was in the middle of a, of a CrossFit workout. This was probably nine years ago. And the guy who was training me is a, is a great guy, but in that moment, Satan was using him in my life. And, and I was in the middle of this workout from the bowels of hell, and I wanted to quit. It was just, it was just miserable, burpee after burpee. And I was just like, oh, hold on just a second. He's like, and he got down in my face. And he goes, come on, Mac. How many can you do when you're tired? And I thought to myself, horrible, ugly things about his family. But I've, I've never forgotten that. How many can you do when you're tired? It's easy when you wake up and you, you, you know, like in my, in my, my situation, I, I wake up next to Julie Richard every day. We get up, we have a cup of coffee. We watch the sun come up over the trees. Man, that, whew, I'm golden in that hour. But about 2.30 in the afternoon, gotten a few snotty emails. Somebody didn't like the sermon. Well, get in line, neither did I. 
I'm like, I don't even know. How many can you do when you're tired? Let us run with endurance the race that is laid before us. Last week, we talked about fixing our eyes, finding true north. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes. Start there. And we talked about, hopefully, this past week, we spent some time every day in the morning fixing our eyes, settling our purpose for the day. And going, it's about him. In everything that I do today, it's about him. Finding true north. Okay, finding true north is one thing. But when the winds blow, when you get the snotty email, when the school district changes plans for the school year again, which by the way, how many of us think our school administrators are overpaid now? Could we please give it up for those who are leading our schools, our teachers, administrators? I, I don't know how they do it. I don't know. And, and there is no roadmap. My mother has been in education since Moses was a baby. She said to me yesterday on the phone, there's no precedent for this. Nobody knows how to navigate these waters. They're, they're doing an incredible job. But as a parent, I've heard school-age kids, sometimes you get frustrated with the situation. What do you mean online till November? No, I'm just saying, circumstances change. True North remains. So we, we found True North, but how do we follow True North? How do, we, how do we actually, no matter what goes on around us, how do we follow True North in, in actuality? How do we step onto the rugged plains of reality out of the friendly confines of a weekend worship service. Yes, praise the Lord. Amen. Good to see you, brother. Yes. Oh, lovely worship. Thank you. so. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But then Tuesday at 2.30. How do you do that? This is a question that Christ followers have wrestled with ever since Jesus' earthly ministry. As a matter of fact, not just Christ followers, I'm talking about the core of his core team. If you think about the disciples, the apostles of Jesus as, as Jesus' core team, there was even a core within the core. There, there were Peter, James, and John. These were the three that Jesus leaned on the hardest and the most. And Jesus has an exchange with Peter one day that I think is so instructive for us. It's so helpful that God saw fit to record this conversation biblically for our benefit, to learn from, to, to take from these precepts and these practices in order to, to follow true north. It's in Matthew chapter 16, among other places. But in Matthew 16, Jesus is beginning to prepare his disciples for the crucifixion. They've been engaged in ministry with him. They've lived with him, walked with him, eaten with him, grieved with him, celebrated with him, seen him perform miracle after miracle, seen lives changed, communities transformed. And Jesus knew before they even got there that the crucifixion would prove a crisis of faith. And so he's preparing them for this. He's saying, let me explain to you where this is all going. This, it's not just all of the, the healing and the forgiving and, and all of those things that, that are there. 
The end game here is my death, burial, and resurrection. In Jerusalem, I will be tried by a kangaroo court and condemned to die on a cross. I, I will be lifted up on the cross like Moses lifted up the, that serpent in the desert that God told him so that the people of Israel could be healed. That's going to be me. And Peter, God bless Peter. I, I, again, I'm so grateful that God includes Peter in the biblical record. Peter, bless his, his impassioned, overbearing heart. Peter, when he begins to hear this setup for the crucifixion, Peter reprimands Jesus, which as a general rule is not a good idea. Peter goes, Lord, may it never be. You'll never die. No, don't, don't even say that, Jesus. I want to show you Jesus's response because embedded in his response to Peter, you learn a lot about the character, the personality of Jesus, but you also learn about the purposes of Jesus. Look at what he says in Matthew 16. When, G when Peter said, no, 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 you not, don't say that. Don't say that you'll die on a cross. Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Jesus lays it out in no uncertain terms here. That to follow him is to make a trade-off. Is to trade off your expectations, my expectations. To follow Jesus, think about it this way. To follow Jesus is to surrender all of your wants, needs, and desires to the only one who is able to satisfy all of your wants, needs, and desires. That's what means to follow Jesus, to, to surrender all of your wants, needs, and desires to the one who is able to satisfy all of your wants, needs, and desires. When Julie and I got married, I made a calculated risk. I, I made a, an educated gamble. I decided that marrying Julie would be worth never dating anybody else. That, that marrying Julie would actually be of greater value to any option that marrying Julie would force me to trade off. You see, to follow Jesus means that you take up your cross and follow him. See, Peter said, Jesus, don't, don't say that you're gonna die. Don't say that. 
Jesus doubled down on it. He said, Peter, you, you misunderstand. I, I'm not just saying that I'm going to die. I'm saying if you want to follow me, you will die to self in order to live for me. That's Christianity, folks. It's not self-help. It's not rainbows and unicorns. It is surrender. It is an absolute laying my arms down, big, billowing, white flag surrender. It is the surrender of your soul to the creator of your soul, to the lover of your soul, to understand that God loves you. You, you have a soul that I don't have. Now, you, we may share some physical similarities. You may be like me, you know, made out of twisted blue steel and super fast and able to jump really high, but your soul is different from my soul. God created your soul on purpose with a purpose like he created my soul on purpose with a purpose. And Jesus is saying here, you, you have to surrender to him. And this is, this is tough to do. This, this, I think this, if, if you want to take all of the arguments against faith, if you want to take all of the debates, every question, every objection that, that a, an agnostic or an atheist could raise to faith, and there, there, are some, there are definitely some valid questions and arguments. I'm not saying that, but I think of all the questions and arguments, most of them come down to this one. If you really strip away everything, superfluous, everything that's a, a smokescreen, everything that's a, that's a camouflaged stiff arm to God, surrender is actually the bottom line. And Jesus is very clear. Whenever people talk about Jesus' is, is grace, Jesus' is love, Jesus' forgiveness, all those things are true, by the way. But, but don't forget that he looked at the, the bedrock of his church, Peter, and said, get behind me, Satan. Yes, Jesus is grace, but he's also truth. He, he, you see, you can't love somebody without telling them the truth. If you love people, you tell people the truth. If, if you want to be loved by people, you receive the truth. You're never doing anybody a favor by not telling them the truth. Jesus said the truth. Jesus said, as a matter of fact, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by him. So, sometimes truth is hard. But man, the trade-off we make for truth is absolutely worth the fact that he will satisfy every want, need, and desire of our lives. This is who he is and it's what he does. But you have to decide, I have to decide that I will make that trade-off. Three things I wanna give you just to, to focus on. Last week we talked about spending some time each morning fixing our eyes on Jesus. 
I want to add to that this week. I want to build on it a little bit. Take three minutes, three minutes to fix your eyes on Jesus quietly, alone. Fix your eyes. Just focus your heart, your mind, your desires, your day. Fix your eyes on Jesus. But second of all, make a commitment in three more minutes to follow true north, to follow Jesus in this day in whatever way he leads, to take up your cross and to follow him, to take up your cross and follow him. Number one, trade perspective, trade perspective. He says it to Peter right here. He says, you're seeing things merely from a human point of view and not God's. So as we take time in the morning to follow true north, to decide I will follow this trade perspective, ask God to give you his mind, to give you his thoughts. Trade your perspective for God's perspective. And here's the thing we have to come to grips with. We we have to deal with the reality that God's perspective is different from our perspective. God's perspective is different from ours. Deuteronomy 32, these are some verses you can pray through, you can read through this week. Deuteronomy 32 says, I will proclaim the name of the Lord. How glorious is our God. He is the rock. Doesn't matter what the winds and waves do. His deeds are perfect. Everything he does is just and fair. He is a faithful God who does no wrong how just and upright he is. So basically, here's the deal. If God does it, it's right. If God does it, if God says it, it is right, it is just, it is good. We have to understand that his ways are different from ours. So so we, we trade those off. Look at Isaiah 55. This is so strong. Isaiah 55, 8 through 11. God says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. That's, again, understand the incredible blessing that this is, but also understand the humility it requires to receive this blessing. The humility to say, God knows stuff I don't. God understands things I don't. Let me ask you a question. How many people in the room, how many of y'all are married? Let me just see a show of hands if you are married. Okay, cool. How many of you are married men? Let me just see a show of hands of the guys in the house. Okay, men. Let me ask y'all, this ought to be rhetorical, but how many of you know that your wife sees things understands things that we don't even exist, that we don't even know exist. Does anybody, any other men in the room know that experience? Any other men in the room get frustrated by that? Thank you very much. That's what I thought. There there are times when I'm like, Julie, now after 29 years, I'm just like, all right, it is what it is. I trust you more than I trust. I mean, she, she intuits things. There there are things that she just, she just perceives and she goes, nah, that's a bad idea. I'm like, why? She goes, I don't know, but it's a bad idea. 
I understand, but I need, I need evidence. I need facts. How many men need facts in their lives? No, you don't. You need a wife in your life. It's not good for the man to be alone, God said in Genesis. There, there are things that our wives just understand, man. They perceive, they intuit. And as great as Julie is, as wise and insightful as she is, she can't see God's taillights. His ways are higher than my ways. His thoughts are higher than my thoughts. Isaiah 55 goes on. Look at this. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, except in Austin in August, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. See, God's word, the Bible, is where we get to know the mind of God. That's where he reveals himself. You say, well, the Bible's just a book. No, it's not. It is the supernaturally communicated word of God from Genesis to Revelation. His word goes out and it will accomplish his purposes, his good and just and fair and right purposes. So, so we start this following true north by trading perspective. We trade our perspective for God's and we bring God's into our lives. That's why the book of Psalms says, thy word I have hidden in my heart. I, I hide your word. I, I, I know it. I learn it. I read it. I live it. That I might not sin against you. Trade perspectives. Number two, stifle entitlement. Stifle entitlement. And everybody do this. Everybody say entitlement, but put it in air quotes. Say, say entitlement with me. Entitlement. Here's why I tell you that entitlement is in air quotes. Because I am entitled to nothing. You are entitled to nothing. Tell your neighbor with a smile on your face, you don't deserve jack. Some of you might have enjoyed that a little too much. Stifle entitlement. Look at what Jesus says to Peter here. You must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. Give it up. Give up your own way. Let me ask you a, a corona-related question. You know, since we've kind of been back out in public, more, you know, whatever, restaurants or shops or, or stores or whatever, how many of us over the last few months that we've been out and about, how many of you have stifled a cough? Let me just see, if you've, if you've been somewhere, and I'm talking about, I don't mean like a dry corona cough, I mean like, a, like just a, a clear your throat kind of cough. That's what we need to do with entitlement. Just stifle it, choke it down, don't do it. Stifle entitlement, give up your own way. And, and here's the thing, you, you're gonna have to do that over and over again. Entitlement is a monster that nobody beats once and for all. Selfishness never goes away. 
My desire to get my own way has never died. I have to stifle it. I have to, I have to invite the Holy Spirit of God to, to stifle it. I have to choose to give up my own way. But I want you to remember, we, we started this by talking about trade-offs. And, and Jesus, Jesus brings this conversation with, with Peter and the disciples full circle here. And, and he brings it full circle with a trade-off. He says, yeah, you, you trade perspectives, you stifle entitlement, but understand this, you also, you live joy. Live joy. Live it. If you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. If you give up your life for my sake, you'll save your life. Can you even imagine, can you even conceive anybody else, anything else that would dare make that promise? That, that could even remotely follow through? Remember, surrender. To follow Jesus, I surrender all of my wants, needs, and desires to the only one who is able and willing to satisfy those wants, needs, and desires. Now, I don't know where you are today. I, I don't know your story or your journey necessarily, but I do know this. My Jesus is able to forgive and to satisfy. He has the authority, he has the power, and he has the desire to forgive and to satisfy. This is who he is and this is what he does. I wanna ask you to bow your heads just for a moment. If you're here today and you've never taken that initial step of faith, that initial step of finding true north, of fixing your eyes on Jesus personally, we want to give you the opportunity to do that, to begin the process of following him. Just right where you are, just pray. If that's what God is leading you to today, we invite you to begin that process, to pray silently where you are. Just talking from your heart to God, silently say something like this. Just say, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, may you be my true north. In this moment, I confess my sin to you, holding nothing back. I surrender my sin, my wants, and my desires to you. And I will follow you from this moment forward. Jesus, I trust you more than I trust myself.
If you would just remain with your heads bowed and eyes closed for a moment more. This moment is too important for us to just skate past. If God did that in your life, then I want you to know that as a church, we want to help with what's next. We want to come alongside you. And so just to begin that, whether you're online or in the room, I want to invite you to let us know that God did that in your life, that you responded in that way. First of all, if you would, as our heads are bowed for just another moment, even if you're at home online or watching somewhere, would you just raise your hand? If that was your prayer, would you just lift your hand and hold it up high in the air for a moment as a statement of faith and know that as a church, we honor that and we celebrate that with you. And our tradition is we're going to put our hands together as you put your hands down to tell you, welcome home. Welcome home.